0: Welcome back to the Imposter's Way podcast, the place where I keep a beginner's mind and you hopefully keep on learning from all the things that I've picked up along my journeys through blockchain land. And this is chapter eight out of the 10-part series I want to do on all things blockchain and cryptocurrency. And well, if you have listened to previous episodes, welcome back. If you haven't, um, I'd urge you to, well, you can kind of listen to this one. Um, independently, but at least you should have understood the, the relative basics of, of the technology. Um, if you don't yet, then chapters 1, 2, and 3 would hopefully cover you there on a non-technical and um, approachable kind of way. So um, I always mention this at the beginning, the transcripts as well as sources that I use for all my statements that I do here and further reading can be found at theimpostersway.com. Um, in case you also digest information a bit better in a written format. Okay, so far we've covered all the hard use cases that aim to disrupt and replace existing business models and applications. So that was in the chapters like four, five, and six mostly. This was about all the places where we have working versions out in the market, um, like blockchain-based asset trading platforms, or I also covered a bit some decentralized social media platforms. It was really about the applications of blockchain-based systems um, in the real world right now. And now these last three chapters, I want to cover um, kind of a bit more interesting, funky um, concepts that 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 are peculiar and that are happening around the the blockchain space. So they're not per se technical innovations that aim to disrupt um, a certain market or um, replace a certain business, um, but they're more important. Um, almost than that, because they're interesting on a human level, on a psychological level, on a sociological level. And last episode, so last chapter, we, we covered um, pseudonymous identities and digital identities, as well as a pseudonymous economy. Um, that was chapter seven, which is really, you know, this is like really I don't know if this is fascinating to everybody, but I think it just opens some doors to think about the consequences and just play this through and what that could mean for for a future that we want to live in or maybe don't want to live in. So today is a similar topic and it is about governance and collaboration. And it's really about these open protocols that are now emerging. Open protocols are things like the Bitcoin network, like the Ethereum network, um, and as we learned, we also build application on top of, of that, right? So especially with Ethereum and similar blockchains, there's applications being built on top of that, that are open source and that are out in the open. So they're open protocols in that way. And they can provide very similar services than companies do, but build in a are built in a completely different way. So while they give you maybe the same function right like you as a user you can use them and and they provide value to you there is not a centralized company behind it that has a ceo that has a board of director or similar structures so the question is well if there is a platform that is so open who makes the decisions then and who you know who who allocates funds for example right who decides what to invest in who decides whether a critical feature Um, has to be added to the platform or whether or not a security hole has to be fixed and who does that fixing right and somebody needs to code on that somebody needs to make designs somebody has to make sure that the platform stays up and running so decision making um in that realm is necessary and needed Um, but how does the organization around those open kind of ominous platforms work and i just kind of want to lift the veil a bit on this because it sounds almost impossible or it sounds shady or whatever um, to think of it this way, because we we are so used to having companies and having a board of directors and knowing like, oh, I know I can Google who owns this company and I can point a finger and they are responsible, right? And it's not the same in cyberspace native versions. Um, So the cyberspace native version of a board of directors looks very different than the meatspace version that we are so used to. Okay. Um, how will we explore this problem? We, we'll, we're will. we going to first address the problem. So what's the problem that we need to solve here? And then we'll cover four different ways of how communities manage around, um, well, basically voting or governance systems. So we'll cover those. Um, and we'll do it along the journey of Chloe again. So she has a pseudonym, um, Edgar, right, if you remember from... Chapter seven about her pseudonym being actually an economic actor, and being able to make money with her videos that might offend her family. So we'll use that storyline to continue, um, just to to kind of illustrate the points. And I think with that we can we can jump in. I, I mentioned that on the blog. Uh, you'll have all the sources. And um, right. So first we wanted to discuss what is the problem that we want to solve here. So. Another year has passed and Edgar is the third most successful channel on the decentralized and fictional NimTube video platform. Nim, Nim stands for anonymous in some circles. Uh, She has upgraded her equipment. So Edgar that is Chloe. She has upgraded her equipment by now and wants to upload her videos in 4k quality. But NimTube only allows for lower quality uploads right now. And Edgar raises her wish to the community forum um, of NimTube, right? So there's a forum and she writes, hey, this I would really love to support 4K. My videos are um, lower quality right now. And I think users would, the, the watchers would really enjoy it. And other creators come in and quickly support her suggestion on the forum. Um, but then again, others in the community are worried about the increased storage capacity Nimtude's server and network would need to support those bigger video files. So we've established that there's some kind of trade-off to be made, right? We're just setting the stage for um, decisions being made on this decentralized network. So one comment from a software developer stands out to Edgar. With our current model, creators get paid by the minute videos are watched but but also the infrastructure providers have to get paid so the people that are setting up the servers to host your videos people all around the world with a nimtube node in their basement and with this technical upgrade um the share that goes to the distribution so to the servers would have to increase because hosting 4k videos is is more expensive than hosting 1080p videos in quality so Otherwise, these node operators, these server operators wouldn't have any incentive to upgrade the server. So we basically have to pay them more, which means that the creators would get paid less per minute watched. And you as a super successful um, creator, Edgar, you probably don't mind the small pay cut, but how about all our smaller creators on the platform? So um, this hopefully kind of illustrates that on on platforms like this, you have these trade-offs. And in traditional Kind of centralized ownership of a platform like YouTube, well, YouTube can kind of just decide. It's a private, well, it's now a public traded company, but um, they don't—they're not beholden to the community as such. Obviously, there can be pressures from the community, like, "Hey, you're paying YouTube creators less now," but in the end, it's their it's their say. And with um, with these distributed systems, you kind of have to organize yourself in a in a more, well, what seemingly chaotic way because you have less hierarchies, nobody centrally can decide. So private ownership of code, like YouTube, is closed source, we call that closed source. And public ownership uh, ownership is open source. So open source programs, if you have heard this before, this has nothing to do with blockchain, It's just a project where the code is out in the open and publicly available for everyone. And NimTube, in this fictional example, is an open protocol and platform. It's an open source system. So let's quickly cover why that even works and how that works before looking into resolving this conflict um, about the 4K video upload. So reasons why open systems work. These open source systems are cheap to copy, but they have strong network effects that means basically because the code is open source it's visible for everybody anybody can copy the code and therefore the whole platform but in systems where we have strong network effects meaning that the value that the system provides is created by the number of participants is normally the kind of systems where copying or stealing is often not worthwhile so i realized this was kind of a dense way of formulating it but the first reason that these open systems work are that if you make something open source, by definition, you're giving away your, your intellectual property. Everybody can copy your code and everybody can spin up the exact same platform. But with platforms, um, by definition, systems that are dependent on people using them, the system that has the most people using them and that has the strongest conviction community will probably win out, even if it's a easy to copy system. So uh, if you think about it, like Signal, for example, the messenger, in contrast to WhatsApp, um, is open source. So you could spin up a second signal, call it noise. I don't know what. And, and and you could say, well, we have the same system here. Please use ours because it's pink instead of blue or whatever, right? Or it has additional features. Um, and then you could just steal basically the whole code base from signal, uh, the messenger, and, and just spin it up again. Um, and there's nobody stopping you. It's not even illegal. So, so you have to be careful with open source because people obviously could just take your Your stuff, right? Um, But with with systems that benefit from just these network effects, which is just this word for the benefit of the system increases with the amount of people using it, Um, it will be very hard to challenge something like Signal that has an existing user base. Like, why would they all shift to something else? It's free anyway, no matter what. So, um, yeah. So, this is the first reason um, that network effects protect open source software from being kind of pirated away in that sense. And the second one is that blockchain introduces money into the equation. So this is now particularly about open source blockchain projects. And open protocols in that way can now start paying its contributors. And instead of being dependent solely on donations, there can be models where, let's say, a certain percentage of the, of the money that flows through the system, right? Let's say people pay for their subscription on the Nimtube platform, can go to the developers or the maintainers of the servers or the creators, right? So these cash flows uh, can be modeled and can be changed. So there's no closed circle of people that can make decisions. It has to be somehow a community effort because per se the project doesn't belong to any specific entity. So those are the two reasons why they emerge and why these um, decentralized systems work, right? So that was just important to point out before we kind of jump into why, how we can solve problems in these communities. We first have to understand why do these communities exist. So we have to state now that a group of humans all around the world, most of them pseudonymous, have to make decisions about a valuable platform. They've never seen each other in real life, and yet they have to make decisions with very high economic impact potentially. There are no laws and courts that can help them resolve disputes because DAOs, and we'll get into that in a second, these organizations are only existing in cyberspace and they don't belong to a jurisdiction. So there is no DAO incorporated or DAO limited registered in the US. So you can imagine it gets very messy. And DAO is just a um, word that I I have to quickly explain here. Um, It stands for Decentralized Autonomous Organization, so DAO. Right. And we'll not use it often here, but I just had to sprinkle it in because you have have to have heard it. It's, it stands for this digital form of governance, which includes automatic rules as well as voting um, of a community. It's it's basically the acronym to use if you want to pretend you know about the space and you know what you're talking about if it comes to digital forms of mass collaboration. So you've heard it. You can use it. I'll avoid to use it too often here in this in this episode because acronyms are like painful. But dao you've you've heard this it's a decentralized organization all right it's what it's what we're talking about basically as a concept today and so you have this group of humans they 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 have a decentralized organization they're somehow part of this NIMTube platform for example but there's no jurisdiction there's no uh, company registered in some country where there are courts for example to resolve disputes or make decisions so um Yeah, that is a unique situation and as you can imagine, a messy one. And before we jump back to Edgar and how NimTube would get to decisions being made um, that that are probably a bit better understandable, let me just give you two real-world examples um, or or kind of context points to make sure that that you get why this is so important and why this is really hard uh, to do, it's a really hard problem so let's illustrate with the bitcoin network if you change a rule in the bitcoin network right now you have millions tens of millions of participants in the network and you have 860 billion dollars of economic value stored in it as of this recording so that's a lot of that is an important system whether or not it is for your personal life uh, just financially this is a big system right and this is nothing you want to change on a whim which the Bitcoin developers and the Bitcoin community takes very serious um, well in order to, to not lose trust as well, right? We, we mentioned trust and, um, in the system um, before in, in previous episodes and on that topic, um, I have to mention this uh, famous DAO hard fork which was a change in Ethereum, the second biggest um, blockchain based system if you rate it by market cap, so by money in the system, right? Um, and it decided to return hacked funds, so funds that were stolen by a hacker, around roughly $40 million worth back then, to their original investors. So giving back money to the people it was stolen from sounds like a great idea, but you had to actually change something in the protocol. And um, that change was met with a lot of skepticism and pushback. Because it set a precedent that this immutable ledger, right, so this unchangeable account, accounting software, basically, right, this is what we, what we covered in previous episodes, um, can be changed. So um, it was a change in the way that who, which money belongs to whom, right. We said that if you have your bank account on a blockchain, you, the cool thing is that you can trust it, that it won't change and nobody can just kind of overwrite your bank account statements and say, well, all of a sudden you have zero. That happened to the hacker so all of a sudden the hacker had zero and everybody is like "Yeah, great the hacker has zero they don't deserve any money right any value um, but the problem is that it set a precedence for well it could also be changed the other way around right so the ethereum community was definitely not un- unanimously voting for this change but the question is was the decision to return the funds the right one right was the z- decision made fairly um, and what kind of precedence does it set so I just wanted to, you know, a, name the numbers. We are talking about high million amounts or in the case of Bitcoin, um, of, in, the, in the range of billions of dollars of economic value. And you have to imagine these are people's life savings. These are people's businesses. Um, this is not a system that you should just change on a whim. And um, just to make sure that you understand like how stressful also decision making in these environments is. But with establishing the seriousness um kind of out of the way i think we can get back to our examples we, we've established that we have new forms of organizing humans to that have a common goal hopefully right and th- these systems are emerging and the question now is how do we make decisions how do we make strategic strategic decisions as a collective and the, the big question is do we enable 4k video uploads for the NimTube platform right that was the the problem we're trying to solve, the dispute we're trying to resolve here. And I want to cover four ways of governance and um, want to cover them today kind of in order and all of them are playing out in different projects and communities right now but I'll also always try to bring it back to EDCA and NimTube. So it's one, rules and ambiguous social consensus. Two, one person, one vote. Three, one dollar, one vote. And four, combination of person and dollar voting, I'll call it. Okay, so we just start with the first one um, and work our way through. And then we kind of summarize and, um, well, maybe I can give my opinion as well a bit. Rules and ambiguous social consensus. So this first way of organizing is really how I kind of perceive the Bitcoin governance process to be. And I'll guide you through the Bitcoin example just because it is the most documented and successful governance model, not because Bitcoin is a video platform. So we'll have to bridge it to NimTube after, Um, but it it just has a lot of references on on how things are done there. So I'll, I'll use it as an example to illustrate this first way of organizing people. So social consensus is somehow the natural state of things. Those of us living in a family, for example, could perceive this as a fair way of making decisions. But probably you see that there are implicit hierarchies in families such as, I don't know, like the mom decides more than the 17 year old daughter where to go on the next vacation. And developers would be, core developers in Bitcoin would be kind of the mom of the Bitcoin family in the sense that you definitely have different say, right? And the, the core developers in Bitcoin are in the end those that can change the code and therefore can change the rules and um, can therefore change the system. But so how how does that work now? In short, you have some researchers that make change proposals. So you research a certain solution to a problem that you think Bitcoin has. And then there's a set of validation rules that are predefined and have been around for years that this proposed change has to pass and fit to. So predefined goals of the project, as well as rules of what changes can be made and what not. I'll not dive into more detail here, but there's pre-existing validation rules. And then the results of that research um, need to convince core developers enough to also accept the change or to even implement it if it's not already coded up. So as a last step then, the members of the network, so each node operator um, and miner, so these parts of the, you know, they make up the kind of little dots of this distributed system, they also have to switch to the software. I mean, this is really like a software upgrade that you get on your phone in the end, um, and you're never forced to do the upgrade. So that gives the operator, the nodes in the system, um, also some power to reject changes. Um, but as we said before, networking network effects are strong. So um, if you're the only one who doesn't accept a change, you're not going to have a good time. Um, you'll just be excluded from the system. Um, But if the majority, for example, of network operators would say, no, 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 this change we don't want, they could basically stop the change from taking effect. So where's Edgar in this picture, right? Um, She doesn't get a say in Bitcoin because Bitcoin, of course, would never run a video platform. But if she participated in the system by running one of those nodes or mining, right, um, she would have a vote in a say, in a sense. Bitcoin solves a simple and very specific problem and that makes it so special and often it's said that Bitcoin is done so we don't need a lot of change we'll get, get into this in future episodes and I digress it's hard not to get kind of philosophical about Bitcoin but let's look um, yeah a, a bit deeper into how how decisions um, are made we, we realize that we have to kind of trust the core developers right for the best to understand the goals of of Bitcoin, And this form of governance could sound like there's a, a ruling class of core developers, right? Um, but Bitcoin governance has a lot more subtleties. And I just mentioned a few of those. And there's a great article, I'll link um, for further reading on, on how this really works. But if we bridge this to, to NimTube now again. So let's say there's another blockchain that has the same governance model as Bitcoin. Um, and it provides a video platform called Nimtube, right? Then developers, core developers of this Nimtube blockchain platform would decide about changes, and the changes need to be proposed before. But the community gets a say, and Edgar would use her powerful voice in the platform, for example, to lobby for 4K video changes. So there's a proposal for a 4K video change, and she can make a video about it and say, hey guys, I think we as a platform, we should really have 4K to be able to compete with YouTube on the quality side. And I think it's totally worth the hardware expense that the network would have to do, have to bear. And I think we should um, really accept this change. And as we know, social influence is a powerful tool. And this is also how this works in, in these um, governance models is yes, theoretically you have a ruling class in the sense there's some people on the button but those are the builders, um, and their incentives are very much aligned with the success of the network as a whole. Um, and they are also very swayed by the um, by the sentiment that you have in the community. They don't have any real incentive to be at, at odds and be an enemy of the community. So it's not a strictly democratic system to make decisions, that's for sure. It's a bit like a family where... Well, you don't vote on everything and you vote one person, one vote, which is what we'll cover next, mm. but it is kind of this ambiguous social consensus consensus system where it's also in nobody's interest to really piss half of the people off. So with that, let's jump into the most well-known version of consensus finding um, in social systems, and that's one person, one vote, which is democracy, if uh, that wasn't clear by now. So for those of us living in a democracy, this probably is perceived as, well, like the fairest approach. And writing this and and recording this, what I found very interesting is that going through just different ways of collaboration and decision-making and resolving disputes puts these different ways of organizing oneself and as a group on the same eye level. So I always put democracy on a pedestal and say, one person, one vote is somehow the moral maximum of organizing people, um, which I don't want to doubt as a form of government, government, but governance of projects uh, is maybe a different thing. All right, so let's say we perceive this as fair. So how does that work for EDGAR? EDGAR gets one vote, and the whole NimTube community votes on the 4K video proposal, right? Every user, let's say every person that uploads, every member that runs a node that is part of the network has a say and has one vote. Now. We know that on the internet you can create several accounts, you can create several personas or pseudonyms. We covered that last episode. You can therefore create many accounts and get many votes, right? So this is kind of a problem. So what you'd need is a proof of identity, meaning that you prove that you're a unique human. For example, by scanning your iris or uploading your ID. Sounds like straight up a sci-fi horror movie, but that's exactly what's happening right now. I was really shocked when I researched this. So, quote, thousands of Syrian refugees in Jordan's Azraq camp don't pay for their food with cash, but by a scan of their eyes. Iris recognition devices at checkouts of of the camp's supermarkets authenticate customers' identity and deduct what they spend from the sum they received as aid from the World Food Programme. So the source here is Reuters, right? This is like not like some crazy sci-fi stuff. Um, This is actually being used. And the quotes that you hear from the World Food Program spokesperson in that article are really, really scary, (laughs) I have to say. Um, Well, I guess you can do it if you help helpless people, right? Uh, Nobody's going to question the morality of that. I would say it sounds very much like Brave New World, but the refugees are not voting on anything here. Um, But the technology exists, and I think that's important. Chloe does not want to prove her real identity to the network. She's not interested in that. She wants to remain pseudonymous at all costs. We know why. So let's move on before she gets very angry and dystopian here. But I'll add an article about an example of digital proof of identity in Switzerland that is a bit kind of less scary. I'll add that in the the further reading section. And understanding that one person, one vote is very hard to do in an internet-based system, especially if you want to preserve some sense of privacy, one dollar, one vote might be the logical conclusion. Stock markets, so publicly traded companies, have an instantiation of this one dollar, one vote principle a bit. So those of us owning shares in a company probably perceive this as somewhat fair at least. So, Edgar gets one vote for every NIM dollar she invests in the NIMTube platform, let's say. Because she's one of the top creators, she has a lot of them. And she only pays herself like a small monthly salary and leaves the rest just on her NIMTube account, providing liquidity for the network. And she gets money through the people watching the videos, right? Just like you would on YouTube. So, she's, she's kind of happy because she has a lot of say. She, she can vote on the proposal with a lot more weight. But quickly, other community members start complaining about this and saying that their voice is not being heard and that small fish are uh, kind of um, useless in their their voting rights and the rich and successful get to make all the calls. And that's not something Chloe likes to hear. She didn't imagine her pseudonym to become an oppressive elitist. So $1, $1 vote definitely also has its drawbacks. And now we get to combination of person and dollar voting this last fourth um, principle that I want to cover today about how to achieve decision making. We always have a proposal on the table that's the 4k video proposal, right? And we are still covering different ways of how to reach that kind of consensus. And quadratic voting um, is something that mixes the last two versions we just talked about. So it, it mixes person voting and dollar voting. So there's some math involved. So probably none of us perceive this as fair by default. We'll really have to dive into this. Um, But Edgar gets one vote and that vote is weighed by the amount of NimTube dollars she has invested in the platform. So this would be the simple way of understanding this. This leads to big fish having more voting power. but, But if a majority of small fish basically would like to vote the other direction, um, she she could always be vetoed, or um, the proposal could always be rejected, let's say, by a vocal majority. And the setup for this is a bit complicated to explain in spoken words, So I'll link Vitalik Buterin, the creator of Ethereum, has written a lengthy and really good post about this. And I'll not try to improve on his writing Um, So I'll just link that up. It's very interesting to consider this mix between economic stake you have in a system. Basically, you have to imagine if you put more um, money into a system, let's say you put more money into a company, it totally makes sense to you intuitively that you should have more say that somebody that just bought one stock for 50 bucks, right? Um, Because you have more to lose but on the other hand that that leads to economically powerful players deciding everything and there is models how you can create a, a a balance of these two factors so people that have invested a lot um, get more say but there's also a weighing of a lot of people voting in a different direction and um there's some nice graphs also in the article that i'll, I'll link and i think this illustrates it better than if i would now spend another 10 minutes on this but Just know that apart from the, just to go through the four kind of ways of consensus finding, we have kind of the social consensus, which is the most, the least strict one, the most um, natural one in the sense, it's a bit like the family. Then we have the democracy, which is very structured. It's one person, one vote. It requires quite a lot of bureaucracy and uh, it's hard to preserve privacy in that fashion, especially if you vote digitally. So this is why voting is still done on paper in good democracies. Um then you have one dollar one vote, which is really the super capitalistic way of doing stuff and in stock markets this happens. And now we have this combination of the two. And yeah, maybe it's a mix, mix the, the best of both worlds kind of. So I'd encourage you to explore this further if you're interested. Which brings us to the conclusion of today's episode, which is about governance and collaboration, right? And we've established that with an open system that has no central owner come a lot of benefits. So we don't need to trust a company to have our best interests at heart. For example, we can verify because the products and the platforms are out in the open. And if the majority of people don't like the rules of this platform, they can take it with them. It's open. They can copy it and build a new platform. So there's no um, there's no way for kind of dominant um, actors to to just dictate the rules. There's no there can't be any dictatorship, right? And of course. Um, centralized platforms like YouTube wouldn't call themselves a dictatorship, but if you think about it, the community doesn't really have a say um, in what YouTube does. So, um, because blockchain brings money to open protocols and open platforms, they can now all of a sudden be kind of profitable in a sense, right, without being a for-profit company. So this changes a lot and changes, improvements and kind of further de- development of the platform can be funded now, so there can be cash flows. and this creates these company-like structures in cyberspace that 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 have to be managed and organized um, that are very different to what we know from the real world the physical world and um these funds of what to build and who to give the funds to have to be managed without a single central authority like a ceo so instead of a CEO, which is a three letter acronym, we just take a different three letter acronym, a DAO. So we've learned this today. And that solves everything, right? Because three letter acronyms are helpful. No, but it's a decentralized autonomous organization. And by definition, that doesn't have a, um, a seat somewhere, um, uh, some kind of office um, that you can write a letter to. And so it's a collective of humans, um, pseudonymous or, or not, that have to agree to on what to do and i think more importantly on what not to do and this collective governance models are the ones that we've kind of explored today a bit and we really barely scratched the surface but just to the point of it's important also what not to do let me just loop this back to the ethereum example of the DAO hard fork i I mentioned in the beginning of returning the funds to the hackers these platforms really have to um, find a balance between not losing the trust of the participants, um, also catering to the majority of people that use the platform and, and, and maintain the network, as well as trying to drive innovation and, and change things in the future. So there will be very hard decisions to make over the lifespan of such a project. So these are, and especially with the economic impact that they have, let's just you know repeat that th- these decisions are not easy to make. So, Governance models of all types are being tried out and they're tested against their resilience and their agility, right? So this would be kind of not changing too much, but also changing enough to be, you know, innovative. And the more important these open protocols become for users and the more economic activity they capture, the more these mechanisms of making decisions will be tested and the more these communities will be tested. Even the World Economic Forum has written a detailed paper on the different ways of governance of blockchain projects, which was very surprising for me to find. So people are watching closely, and I'm certain that there's lobbying efforts, for example, made to sway votes in certain protocols um, by, by interested parties. Right? This doesn't have to be evil. Lobbying seems to be a natural state of things as well. But these different kind of um, models of organizing in cyberspace um, are very very fascinating i really hope that that sociologists and other researchers will have a field day because the organization of these groups of people with high stake decisions to be made um, in a pseudonymous environment um, are out in the open and can be tracked and seen so the decisions that are made are transparent so to study how different communities make their decisions and what they learn from their mistakes I think would be a very interesting field to to kind of um, explore further, which maybe I'll do in a future episode. But I want to wrap it up with this. Um, I realize this is a big topic. I I hope um, I didn't bore you to death with with kind of the long conclusion here. But um, yeah, I think until next time, I'd wish you good governance. Um, Think about the governance models you use in your daily life, right? From maybe your workplace to your family, Um, I think that was an interesting thought experiment for myself. Um, And with that, have a great day.